more women will suffer from an osteoporotic fracture than they will from heart attacks, breast cancer, and strokes combined. And that's why in today's episode, we're focusing solely on bone health and in particular osteoporosis. You probably know someone in your life who has osteoporosis, be it you, your parent, a sister, a friend, your mother. And if you don't, you may also know someone who has osteopenia, the precursor to osteoporosis. In today's episode, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Christy Tuff, assistant professor at Northwestern University, joins us to talk all about osteoporosis, what it is, what you can do about it, how best to treat it, and what it means for you. You're not going to want to miss this episode. In fact, I challenge you to listen to it because it's really, really important. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sweet Spot Labs. Intimate dryness is one of the menopausal symptoms I get asked about most in my practice. And it's no wonder estrogen is to the vulva what collagen is to the face. As estrogen decreases, so does the natural moisture in your intimate skin, such as the labia and hair bearing areas, which can lead to itching, burning, and increased sensitivity. The product I recommend to rescue intimate skin from this discomfort is Rescue Balm from Sweet Spot Labs. No joke. It's an ultra rich intimate moisturizer that is 100% naturally derived and packaged with active levels of collide oatmeal, zinc oxide, sweet almond oil to soothe and protect intimate skin. I not only love what's in it because it really works, but also what's not in it. So Sweet Spot Labs has been pioneering clean, intimate skincare since 2003. And they formulate without any common irritants, allergens, hormones, hormone disruptors, or yeast food sources. Rescue Balm is free from water, preservatives, fragrance, silicones, propylene glycol, steroids, hormones, parabens, glycerin, and even from poor clogging ingredients like coconut oil, just to name a few. And like all Sweet Spot Labs products, Rescue Balm is hypoallergenic and clinically proven by unbiased third-party gynecologists and dermatologists to be non-irritating on intimate skin, even with daily use. That's why I really, really feel comfortable recommending it to anyone and everyone, including me, and even those with very sensitive skin. Visit Sweet Spot Labs. And use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off your first order. That's S W E E T S P O T L A B S dot com and use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off. I'm so excited to have you back. And today I really wanted to talk about osteoporosis. In the past, we've talked a lot about osteopenia and uh, also uh, d- about bone health in general. So I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Hi, Heather. How are you? Excited to be here. Yeah. All right. So let's jump right in. I wanted to talk about osteoporosis and let's start with just some basics. Um, What is osteoporosis and why should women care? Okay. Yeah. Osteoporosis, the literal meaning is porous bones. Um, and I think a lot that's very kind of difficult to understand for many women. And it, what it really means is that 
there's more bone loss and bone formation. And that really is more common, you know, after the menopause transition. And the reason we care about osteoporosis or what the bone density looks like is because the, lo the lower the bone density or the lower the, the bone mass, the higher the risk for a fracture or develop a low trauma uh, fracture um, through the lifetime. And why should we care? Well, why we should care, and, and this is what I say to my patients every single day, is that once women pass 50 or hit the menopause, some women can spend a third of their life in the postmenopause, and we know that we're losing bone and muscle mass during that time. And when we lose both bone and muscle mass, we can increase our risk for fractures. Fractures are actually more common after 50 than breast cancer, stroke, and heart attack combined. Combined. So, it's not that we don't, you know, we don't ask about mammograms and do a GYN exam, but most of the time people forget about, you know, the bone health evaluation. And I see so many women who get a screening bone density between 50 and 65 if they are um, postmenopausal, and they have a shocking diagnosis of osteoporosis. And that's because we don't feel osteoporosis, right? So Unlike mm -hmm. osteoarthritis, which is like everyone has it, including me now, um, <laughs> in their fingers, in their back, et cetera. Osteoarthritis, we feel osteoporosis, we do not. But it does still put us at increased risk for low bone mass or low bone density and then can portent fractures. Um, and so it's so important to go to a doctor who, again, knows a little bit about osteoporosis or at least screams screens for osteoporosis. And I know we're going to get into how we treat it as well. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, I certainly have my own opinion, that bone health gets forgotten about? Yeah. So I think, you know, no one wants to have a disorder or a condition just like high blood pressure or high cholesterol. They carry some stigma, but I think what bone, you know, menopause and aging, you know, has a little bit of a stigma we know of its own, but I really think about it. You know, we both run osteoporosis or menopause, you know, clinics and, and understand that, you know, there's a way to like, you know, healthy age. I, I don't like the word aging in place. I think that's sort of a, a misnomer. And so don't really do healthy aging or at least healthy awareness. So I tell people if they have a diagnosis of osteoporosis or osteopenia, at least we know now, right? We know, mm -hmm. you know, you're here talking to me about how we can evaluate your risk factors, how we can understand the amount of calcium and vitamin D exercise or lifestyle modifications that you need to do and what other medications, whether it be hormone therapy, the bisphosphonate classes of medicines, the bone building medications that we really can use through the lifespan. And that's really important. Just like menopause therapy, we use that. We can use that through the lifespan to treat symptoms. Um, so again, to prevent a fracture, to maintain bone density um, and, and the such. You know, I see a lot of women who come to see me um, also because they want a bone density because they've seen their mom, their mm -hmm. sister, their aunt mm -hmm. have a yep. really significant Bad fracture. fracture. Yeah. fracture, lose height have significant pain. Um, and, and I, and sometimes I see those, you know, patients with their mom and, and they're coming as, as their, you know, the, the mom and daughter, and um, it's such a good, you know, teaching opportunity for, for all the family. And I look at the, the other uh, patient and I said, when did you go through menopause and tell me, have you had a bone density? Um, because they're there with, you know, their mom who's had a fracture. So uh, yeah. again, why it matters is because we really can do a lot about it um, in terms mm -hmm. of treatment and education. And we know that it's such a significant part of women who, you know, get to be a certain age, 50 and beyond, you survive childbirth and you potentially, you know, treated your breast cancer and have, you know, other chronic conditions that you're just, you're managing really well. So I really feel like there's a lot that we can do um, and a lot of education that we still need 
um, you know, for patients and for clinicians alike on, on osteoporosis. Yeah. That's like a really great attitude is there is a lot that we can do and there's a lot of good data. So before we get into medications and specifically, I want to talk about how long to take medications and when to take breaks from medications, because that's what people ask me a lot about, but let's first answer the question here and upfront. Why can you not just do calcium and vitamin D for osteoporosis. Okay. So, you know, when we look about uh, bone cells, what is bone actually made up, right? It's made up of calcium, it's made up of phosphorus, and it's made up of bone cells, the osteocyte, the osteoclast, the osteoblast, and all of those sort of work in concert to do two things. One is to remodel, which is sort of like exactly what we think about remodeling, taking out the old and putting in the new. So you're like mm-hmm. remodeling, you know, to put some, some nice new, you know, nice new pillows from your ones that are like ripped up by your children. <laughs> um, and then modeling, which is actually putting down new bone where, uh, you know, there is no bone that has been priorly replaced, previously replaced. So modeling um, happens a lot of the time in our teenage years and our up in our years up to age 20s, where we actually place new bone. Um, that's what we tell kids, like get off the couch, do their exercise, have their <laughs> calcium vitamin D because we're building and mineralizing new bone. Yep. And then when we get to a certain age, like at 40, we stop making new bone um, and we start to now, you know, the really the remodeling cycle where we remove old bone and replace new bone starts, uh, sets in. So calcium and vitamin D, so vitamin D helps, um, you know, transport calcium into, uh, into our cells better and calcium again helps mineralize the bone that's there. Get um, it to the right know, place. Poly- Right, get it to the right place. And we know that collagen is also uh, one of the main proteins of the bone. But when we think about, you know, when we need to, you know, remodel, calcium and vitamin D is is very important. But when we get to a certain point where we are now losing more bone than we're making, calcium and vitamin D alone cannot keep up. It's kind of like if you needed 100 people to come to your job site to, you know, make a house and you only have two calcium and vitamin D, well, the job's not really going to get done, right? So you're you're going to remodel more bone, you're going to lose more bone, you're going to break down more bone than you can form. And so a lot of the medications sort of like boost our own natural systems. They either boost our um, modeling system to actually build new bone, or Mm -hmm. they halt our remodeling system. And they sort of help add to that, you know, that armamentarium of calcium and vitamin D to promote less bone breakdown and really even out the score. And so I use the analogy a lot with my patients of a bone bank, you know, we really build our bone bank for our teens and 20s, 30s, um, and then we sort of plateau. And we know that at menopause, every single woman uh, will lose bone density because of the because we go through menopause, right? Um, and a lot of women have a decreased bone bank to start with, whether they've had you know, chronic conditions or multiple pregnancies or early menopause, that all makes a difference. And so mineralizing bone at any age, calcium and vitamin D are the building blocks. And that's actually forgotten a lot of times by my patients who start medication and then think, oh, but I can just like ditch my calcium and vitamin D now. And that's actually not true, right? Those, those players are there yeah. and possibly there's some other minerals and, um, you know, some other trace elements that also um, help in that. But really at the end of the day, calcium and vitamin D are not enough when the bone loss is substantial enough mm-hmm. to have osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Great. I just wanted to make that really clear. And I love your analogies. Every time we do a show together, you give me new analogies. I like the bone bank a lot. So let's get into treatment. And I want to kind of talk about you know, the basic overviews of treatment 
And, um, and to the question for patients, how long do you need to take these for? At what point do your bones get better? Like you said at the beginning, you know, there's a lot we can do. So let's start with the most common, which is the oral medication, the bisphosphonate class. And talk to me a little bit about how long you use these for, what is a bone holiday and what do you do after that? Mm-hmm. So I always like to take a step back when I'm counseling my patients and look at their, first of all, when we think about treating osteoporosis, we have to first think about, well, what are we, what is the goal here? You know? And so we have to look at the risk for mm-hmm. fracture and we have many guidelines, the endocrine society guidelines, the ACE guidelines, which is the American college of clinical endocrinologists. We now have the NAMS updated um, osteoporosis mm-hmm. guidelines, which really can help us. And these are the main organizations that help us determine well, who needs to be treated and how should we treat them? And so mm-hmm. really there's two, you know, you know, two groups of patients. One is women with osteoporosis who are at, ri- at risk for fracture, meaning again, lower bone density, a T-score minus 2.5 or lower based on bone density and has not had a prior fracture. So they really, you know, therefore, you know, a diagnosis of osteoporosis found on a screening bone density. Mm-hmm. And a second group of women who are women who are at highest risk for fracture And those are women who've had a prior fracture, such as a fracture of the hip or wrist or um, humerus, which is the forearm, pelvis, um, a spinal fracture. So, or or they're women with very low T-scores, again, on that bone marrow density scan, the Mm -hmm. T-score is minus 3.0 or lower. And we know that women who are over age 70 are also at the highest risk for fracture. So really when we think about treatment, you know, perhaps, you know, internists, you know, and people who are sort of knee jerk, they say, oh, if you have osteoporosis, we're going to give you oral alendronate because that's the easiest thing to write a prescription for. Mm-hmm. But we really know that when we look at patients, we really need to individualize, right? We need to look at the highest, the women who are at the highest risk for fracture. Oral alendronate is, we know from now many studies comparing oral alendronate to medications that work um, more significantly and have a better efficacy that that medicine is not going to be the right medicine for patients because it's going to affect very little change. It's not going to affect the bone density slightly, and it's not going to decrease the risk of another fracture, which is actually the goal of our, of our, of our treatment. So it's kind of like if you came to a doctor and your blood pressure was 200 over 100 and you would normally get, you know, a dose of 25 milligrams for a, a lowering a blood pressure lowering medicine. And we said, well, we're just going to give you like five milligrams and hope for the best that your blood pressure lowers. (laughs) So it's the same thing. So we really want to find the right patient for the right medication. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so for, for women who, you know, like you mentioned with, you know, starting on oral bisphosphonates, um, which is, you know, medications such as alendronate or the trade name is Fosamax or residronate, the trade name is Actinel or um, abandronate, the trade name is Boniva. Those are the class of oral bisphosphonates, which have been studied and actually FDA approved since the 1990s. So we've got a lot of good efficacy, a mm. lot of good data on those medications. And they're really for the patient who's low risk, meaning you have osteoporosis at risk for fracture. Your T-score is between minus 2.5 and minus 3. Um, you've not fallen. We don't think that you have any you know, contraindications to the medications. Um, and I'll review those in a second. And, and, and generally, these are very well tolerated. They're taken weekly on an empty stomach. First thing in the morning, you have to wait 60 minutes to eat. So the maximum of absorption happens because these have to be absorbed um, through the stomach. People with like acid reflux, GERD, um, hiatal hernia, silent reflux. Now there's a lot of 
this uh, out there LERD, which is so-called LERD, um, those medications are not going to be an option for the, for those patients because it's just going to worsen that existing condition, or you might not absorb them, you know, mm -hmm. well. Um, and so for my patients who are, you know, anywhere from 50 to 70 who are a lower risk um, for fractures, these medications, and I think they can tolerate them, are very efficacious, and they really can affect a change. We know that really the, the best, you know, that we can hope for would be an improvement in the spine bone density of about three to 5% over about three to five years. And we know that after a certain period of time, there's a plateau effect. And so mm -hmm. all the medical societies sort of agree that with the oral medications, generally after five years, if you're tolerating it, if there's been a change and a good benefit and you're not having a fracture, um, and your risk is lowered because you've been on the medication that a drug holiday, which is mm -hmm. an interesting term, but a drug holiday is um, warranted. And that's because the risk benefit ratio of the medication starts to change. We actually know the medicine is mm -hmm. probably not going to make a huge effect on the bone density and they're going to have a plateau effect and that the risk of, you know, some rare complications of things like osteonecrosis, the jaw, atypical femoral fractures, which are happen because there's too much remodeling. What I discussed in the beginning, too much bone has been, um, you know, sort of prevented to remodel. We need to let our own body sort of kick in. That balance sort of shifts. And mm -hmm. so I spend a lot of time discussing that and, and why we use the medications for how long. And again, if the, we check bone density serially, and that depends, sometimes that's every year, sometimes that's every two years, we want to see that the bone density has improved a little bit or stayed the same and that you have not developed any obviously new fractures and we're looking at your other fall risk, calcium, vitamin D, but these medications are very safe and they can be effective for the right patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in summary, if you are in that first group, which is not high, high risk, you found osteoporosis on a screening DEXA and you have a T-score less than negative 2.5 to negative 3.0. So those would be good candidates for these. And, and so then that leads naturally to the next question is when you fall in that high risk category, uh, who is a good, what are the options that are available? And, and, and I want to ask you to tell me in order of the ones that, uh, you find to be the most efficacious actually. And you may say, well, it really depends on the patient and the history and the background. Cause that's mm -hmm. a lot. I would, I would say, but I bet that's probably what you're going to say, but I'm interested in terms of what data shows on efficacy of like, you know, people want to know, is this going to prevent me from having a fracture, right? Cause the outcome is we want your T-score to improve, but that's kind of a surrogate marker. We want you to not have a fracture. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, right. And so, and, and within the class of the oral bisphosphonates, I just to be you know complete, there is also an IV bisphosphonate, which is um, one called zoledronic acid or zolindronate, or the trade yeah. name is reclass. So that's another option within that class of medication for patients, again, at moderate risk for fracture. And then when we think about patients who are at the highest risk, like you, your question, so those who've had a fracture, a significant fracture or multiple fractures, I see many patients with multiple fractures, mm -hmm. very yep. low T-scores yep. or, you know, who have multiple risk factors, so they're falling, they, um, you know, they've had, you know, we, we just know that, that we just need, this is like a lifeline, they're on chronic steroids, you know, we really need to prevent the fractures. So we, we're very lucky, you know, the classes of medications have expanded. So we do have a class of medications called the PTH or parathyroid. 
um, analog medications, one of which is called teraparatide. The trade name is Forteo, which has actually been FDA approved since 2002. Mm -hmm. um, and we have some updates with that medication. And we have another one called abaloparatide. The trade name is Timlos which is FDA approved in 2017. And we know because of how, again, the mechanism of these medications, these actually also uh, promote remodeling, but they actually promote more bone formation than they do bone resorption. And they work on um, the parathyroid hormone or PTH, which stimulates more of those um, you know, bone building cells than the bone resorbing, bone resorbing cells. And we've known since 2002 that when Forteo, the teraparatide was the only one that's out there, that that reduces the risk of spinal fractures significantly by about 80%. And, um, and now there's been some, yeah, and there's yeah, been some data. Numbers. Exactly. To you know, in a, in a in a meta-analysis, that it also reduces the risk of a hip of hip fractures, and very similar with the medication Timlos, that it reduces the risk of a spinal fracture by 86% when we look at that medication over um, you know 18 months, and then followed by another medication called Alendronate, which maintains the bone density. And then, so that's one large class of of medicines. That is a those are daily subcutaneous injectables. Um, and I think sometimes that scares, you know, people when they say, oh, my God, I'm going to have to give myself a medication um, and it's going to be an injection. But the reality is for, again, if we really want to affect a change and you're at the highest risk, these medications are the best. And we can generally get them covered by insurance. They come in a very small self-injector pen. So a lot of my patients who are diabetics or who've given themselves Lovenox for any post-op feel like this is easy breezy. And I mm -hmm. show, show that with my, it's a 31 gauge needle. We really can get over a lot of, you know, needle phobia. I've even had patients who've had needle phobia, who've gone for like hypnotism and, and been able to do this. And we walk, I walk patients through it. Oh, There's that's... so many resources to help. So if we really feel like this is the best medication and we can get it covered and we can find that, you know, this, you know, we know that we're affecting the biggest change with the bone density and reducing your risk particularly mm -hmm. patients with spinal fractures, then that's the one, you know, th that we go for. Got it. Um, and, and again, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned before I forget. So after you do an injectable, do you recommend then they do uh, the bisphosphonates like back to what we talked about in the low risk women and mm -hmm. for like the five years or what do you usually do there? Yeah. So again, this is like where some guidance, you know, some of the guidelines, you know, you know, um, help us, but you know, there's some, the, the term, you know, sort of not to get too like into the, into the medical weeds, but the term is called um, sequential therapy where we start no, with like a, bone, a bone building medication, which is either like a baloparatide, teraparatide, or one called romosocinab or avenity, which we'll talk about in a second, which is another injectable, but given by a healthcare provider. And, and, and if we say, okay, you're the highest risk, let's fill up that bone tank, that bone bank and really, you know, capitalize on what we know that the bone modeling system can do or, or, the, or, the, or the PTH medications can do, then we want to follow it to maintain the bone, uh, to maintain the bone mass. That's one of our anti-resorptive classes. And that can be anywhere, anything from, you know, um, you know oral bisphosphonates. Um, it can be, sometimes we use raloxifene, it can be the IV bisphosphonates, it can be a medication called denosumab, our trade name is Prolia. Um, so there's so there's many. And then with that, we sort of can tailor how long the medication is on, is say it, it, we continue. So that can sometimes be one to two years. Some of the studies have um, been at least following the PTH medications by two years with the oral lendronate. Um, 
And then, you know, with the denosumab, which we'll talk about there, that is a continuous use afterwards. So it just depends again on well, what does your risk look like? And so what I do in clinical practice is if we do yeah. use the injectable medications, I follow patients very closely. Um, we do a bone density after the duration of time, whether that be a year or 18 months. And then we decide together what makes the best sense looking at your risk now? I can tell you, and I, you know, how many patients are so happy when I like give them their printed beautiful reports and they really, you know, they've done all the hard work and they understand, you know, the goal and they understand that, you know, they've really affected the change. And so I think it's very um, helpful, you know, to have the understanding of the mechanism and also why you're doing it to maintain I think to have a why for everything is so, so helpful, whether it's, and especially if it's something that you're going to have it form around, whether it's something like weight loss, we know having a why can be really helpful mm-hmm. in quitting smoking or doing, you know, have taking a medication. It, it's really helpful. So all right. especially, especially for the condition, like you said, osteoporosis where people don't have any symptoms, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously the high risk patients, many of them have had a fracture. I just got off the phone yesterday with like one of my patients who's had a vertebral fracture, she's just in a lot of pain, right? And so we're trying to help her pain and then help her reduce the risk of another fracture. And so um, I think that there's a lot of buy-in. I think there's a lot of um, resources out there now for for patients, clinical support, for providers to learn how to, you know, use these medications. Because again, like the analogy, if you have a high risk for fracture, you want to reduce your risk of a fracture. And we want to do that, you know, with the best evidence we have. And there has been studies now looking at both you know, teriparatide um, versus oral medications such as oral or residronate. And it's shown that there is superiority over using these, you know, injectable medications for reduction of fracture in the high-risk patient. And similarly, you know, um, there's a medication called romasosinab, which is actually a little different because it actually combines both the bone formation or stimulates bone remodeling, the bone, you know, putting, laying down new bone by stimulating the osteoblast and it inhibits bone resorption. And so, and it's actually interesting because it's given once monthly by a healthcare provider. It can be me, sometimes it can be our <laughs> nurses. Um, and it's 12, 12 monthly injections for a year. And that has also been studied comparing that medication to oral um, alendronate, which again has been sort of quote unquote, the standard of care and has been also shown to reduce the risk of both vertebral and non-vertebral yes, fractures. Um, when it, it looks at over 12 months. And then again, that would be continued on with another medication to follow it, to lock in the bone density gains. And so this whole understanding is really being more fleshed out um, in real world clinical data, but we also have obviously a lot of good scientific studies. And then um, how this gets like, translated to our patients over time is, and, and, you know, is, is so important. But we do have some classes. Um, we have one more class of medications that's potentially coming down the, the pipeline, which is a patch. It's called abaloparatide. Mm-hmm. It's a patch that was created by 3M. It's kind of actually a, an intradermal needle patch where you actually uh, place the patch and then sort of use a little like um, sort of like a little hammer-like device um, to- this isn't, Chrissy, to, this is a bad uh, imagery. <laughs> okay, okay. So a, a little hammer is a bad, yeah. So, so okay, we'll edit that part. So it's a little- uh, interesting. No, it's saying- I, I imagine it's like, I'm thinking about it's like, like an, it's got, I'll just say, yeah, I'll just say it's like an, it's an intradermal patch where you <laughs> are placed on for five minutes um, once a day. And then you take that off. Oh, okay. So it's not a wearable. Like you, I was kind of thinking it's like 
the combi patch where you just wear it all the time. No, no, it's a, it's a patch that's placed on and then small little micro needles are, 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 are um, pierce the skin slightly and then, but painless for the most part. And then it's taken off after five minutes, five to 10 minutes a day. Okay. So we'll see if that joins the armamentarium. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will. So, oh my goodness. So that's going to be, that's an anabolic agent, right? Exactly. Builder. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So that's really, really interesting to know. So then let's talk about um, denucinab, which is the trade name is Prolia, which also um, is the subcutaneous injection every six months. What do we know now that there's even more data coming out about that? And how does that one work compared to the other ones? Great. Yeah. So for, for many of our patients, you know, again, who are in the high risk category, who perhaps can't use anabolic or who you have, and then they need to find something else to maintain their fracture, you know, prevention. Denosumab is like you said, every six months, it's a, it's a monoclonal antibody. So similar to what our own body makes and actually inhibits something called rank ligand receptor activated nuclear kappa, which is actually higher when we go through menopause. So it is contributes to more of that bone breakdown. Breakdown. So it's essentially inhibiting that bone breakdown. And this medication has been around with us for a long time. So it's been FDA approved since 2010. So, you know, now we have some women who have been on this for longer than 10 years. um, And it's been studied for up to 10 years in in a study of over 2000 patients. And it has shown that it improves the bone density over time. The bone density seems to improve through, you know, through the 10 years without any plateau effect um, similar to the bisphosphonates because it's a little bit, it's more potent and has a different mechanism of action. The most difficult thing I think with prolia that we've learned over the years is that if it is, if, if, you know, you've been taking this for at least two years or, or longer and you decide to discontinue for any reason, we need to transition to another medication. So similar to that anabolic to anti-resorptive transition, this needs to be transitioned off. And the, re- the reason for that is because if we stop, this goes back again to the mechanism, that if we stop the medication, there's an, an over-remodeling, sort of like an overshoot of the bone breakdown that can, that can happen. And we know that from looking you know, specifically at things called bone markers, or we do, when we look at biopsy results, and that, that can contribute actually to spinal fractures. And so it can actually overshoot. And for some women who are at highest risk, there have been reports, case reports of fractures. And so those of us who treat osteoporosis still very much use denosumab and, and prolia for patients who, you know, again, can't take an oral bisphosphonate, have a very high risk for a fracture. And we know that they're going to need ongoing treatment and we feel comfortable that they're going to be able to be compliant with every six month dosing and potentially they'll continue that for out for 10 years. Um, but I do have patients who prolia has worked so well, and their bone density has improved from a T-score of minus three to minus 1.5, and, and their T-scores in their spine and their hip, and potentially their risk of a fracture has gone you know, down because of their improvement over their bone density, and despite being older, their bone density, they, we feel like their risk is as lower, yeah, and, we look at yeah. the, and we look at the risk-benefit ratio of maybe continuation of any class of anti-resorptives which is, again, there's some concerns for osteonecrosis of the jaw, if you need a, a ongoing dental work or atypical femoral fractures, which are, again, fractures lower down in the hip where they can be asymptomatic or uh, mildly painful and, and have a, a sort of a stress-like fracture. And so 
So if we do decide that, you know, the risk of a fracture is lower, and we usually use that from, you know, again, looking at the T-score, looking at the patient's characteristics, perhaps you finish, you know, your treatment with an aromatase inhibitor. I see a lot of women post-breast, you manage a lot of women with breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, is that then we say, okay, well, if we're going to discontinue off of prolia, we need to either use an oral bisphosphonate like alendronate, um, and that's a, if you've been on that for about two, two years or lower or less or an, inter- an infusion. And that's one, the one called reclass or an infusion. Because again, that's sort of like, I sort of say, it's kind of like the pillow that, all, you know, it kind of like, you know, prevents the, that, that drop in bone mineral density, it kind of is a nice soft landing pad to sort of protect us all from preventing this rebound overshoot. And, and this is a very much an area of ongoing research, ongoing management discussion. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, to be going to the Association of Bone Mineral Research um, Conference, say that 10 times fast, um, this Friday um, to, you know, again, like, you know, I I love being amongst, you know, my colleagues and experts who are doing the research on this and who are helping our patients understand it and helping our clinical understanding. Because um, I think this is so important for our patients that we can, you know, counsel them appropriately and again, get the best outcomes um, of, of, you know, preventing fractures, preventing falls. Um, things like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You have such a great way of making this very, uh, minefield of data really easy to understand. And so I can tell you explain this to patients a lot is how we get good at explaining some of this. My last question for you is what are some of your favorite websites or resources that are patient friendly for women to go to who want to get a little bit more information and want to be online? What source, what sites do you like? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I've, I create a lot of patient education for, for my patients when sort of pick and, you know, pick and choose. Um, I think that, you know, the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation, they switched their name from the National Osteoporosis Foundation. So it's B-H-O-F now. They Bone changed Health, their name, Bone Health Osteoporosis Foundation. Yeah, so their website is B-H-O-F okay. dot org. I'll put it, I'll link it below, B-H-O-F. Yeah. Yeah, so they have some fabulous, you know, videos, they have a podcast, um, they have, you know, some resources on calcium vitamin D exercise um, that are also um, effective. And I just think that they do some great education there. Actually, I'm also involved in a project where I'm educating other uh, clinicians are actually coming to the Chicagoland area where I am, and clinicians can sign up to do a, like a whole day uh, conference with us, with me and one other person who, Dr. Andrea Singer, who's going to teach internists, gynecologists, um, more about osteoporosis. So they feel more empowered. uh, Oh, that's amazing. I'm I'm super excited. Can you do that virtually? Like if you wanted to attend? Maybe maybe. we decided for in-person because I like seeing people's faces, but, um, but perhaps. Um, so, but that's a great website. And I just think that okay. all around the education is so good. And then also, uh, interesting, like our neighbors from the North, Osteoporosis Canada um, has some great websites, great things on also exercise on video. Um, oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah, that, again, like how do you pick up things correctly? Yes. How can I do um, yoga Pilates correctly? Things yes. like that. Cause I see such a wide variety of patients who are super exercisers to those who yeah. you know are eighties and they're looking to do like, how can I do things safely? Um, so that's a great, you know, a great resource and a great website as well. And I can send you the links for those. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else. Obviously, the North American Menopause Society or NAM, you know, has yeah. menopause.org has some has some good information on you know hormone therapy use and um, prevention of osteoporosis, and just also just on uh, some yeah. discussions on osteoporosis. We're so lucky to have some members there who um, also are sort of boneheads. Love love their um, bones. Yes. Yeah, love the osteoporosis world. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's a couple others. Yeah, there's there. I think that that's. Um, primarily it, you know, yeah. really, yeah. Um, that I would recommend. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for spending the time with me. I know you're really busy and uh, I uh, love having you on. I think this is like your fourth or fifth or sixth episode that we've done together. I'll never forget our first one back in San Diego in a hotel room in 2018 yeah. or something like that. So it's yeah. always so good to see you. I love that I get to have such a great relationship with you and, 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 you know, get to work with you, even though we're in different places. So, uh, well, thank you so much. It was so wonderful to have you on and thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you got so much out of this. I know I did. So I'll see you again next week for a brand new episode. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode.